Welcome to the Ivy League Prep Academy podcast, where we help you make a meaningful impact in your communities and get accepted to your dream university. Becoming the person that Ivy League schools recruit is more enjoyable and meaningful than you ever imagined. Come find out why. Hello, everyone. Today, we are so excited to have with us one of the most caring and competent people I've ever met. I was fortunate enough to sit in Dr. John Paul Rollert's leadership class while pursuing my master's degree in business management. My classmates from this class and I still keep in touch, and everyone is eagerly looking forward to this podcast, which is part two of two episodes that we've done together. Be sure to check out part one from last week. John Paul Rollert's teaching is legendary at Harvard. I hope to give you a taste of why he's so respected and appreciated in these two podcast episodes, even though nothing can replace sitting in his actual class. Dr. Rollard is well-respected in law, education, business, and ethics, and a quick Google search will bring up articles he has written for the New York Times, The Atlantic, The Yale Law Journal, to name a few. Look out for his upcoming book about his experience working on the 2008 Barack Obama presidential campaign. A graduate from Harvard College, he earned his law degree at Yale and his PhD from the University of Chicago. Most of all, to me... He is an inspiring teacher, and I feel very fortunate to count myself among the students he has taught at both Harvard and the University of Chicago Booth School of Business. In this podcast, which is part two of two, you can hear his experience in high school leading up to being accepted to Harvard College, as well as his advice for teenagers today. So without further ado, let's jump to the interview. And so we are just incredibly fortunate to welcome into the podcast this week, uh, Dr. Rollert. Thank you so much for joining us. As Steve, it's really such a pleasure to be here. And certainly, much like our class, you're welcome to call me John Paul. Let's talk just a little bit about your university experience. You attended Harvard College um, a few years ago. You since then went on to get your doctorate degree, and, and you've done some amazing things. And now you teach Harvard students, and you also teach at uh, the University of Chicago Booth School of Business, right? Two of, of some of the top schools in the world. So can you tell us a little bit about your experience at Harvard College? Yeah, I, you know, Steve, a little bit about my background. Um, I, uh, I was born in Chicago, uh, a fairly large city in the United States. But when I was 12 and a half years old, I moved to an apple farm in Michigan that had been in our family for about 150 years at that point. And so moving from an urban uh, location to a very rural location was quite a jolt. Um, And so getting the chance six years after I arrived on the farm to be able to return to a more urban world and attend Harvard was obviously a tremendous blessing, Um, but also uh, a great challenge because people come from all over the world to Harvard, uh, many of them from pretty elite backgrounds. Uh, most of them from urban environments, very few of them from apple farms in places like West Michigan. And and I will say, um, for all the challenges that posed, the opportunities far outstripped them. And so Harvard made for a tremendously challenging, rich, dynamic environment. Um, It gave me a lot of opportunities, but um, it really put me through the paces, so to speak, and I think ultimately brought forward my best performance which to a certain extent is really what you can hope for from an educational institution that it will bring out ultimately in you individually your best performance. I should I should note insofar as we began with leadership, that is also the responsibility of a good leader. How do you bring out the very best of people around you? Institutionally, I would say Harvard College did that for me, and I'll forever be grateful to that institution for that. Yeah, absolutely. 
So for students who might be listening and dreaming about maybe not Harvard uh, or maybe Harvard, but dreaming about their ideal school, they've got their eyes set on on a school that, that is just perfect for them. We talk about the importance of identifying your own values and your strengths and interests. And then when you are, are more self-aware, finding a way to make an impact within your sphere of influence. So even as a high school student, most high school students feel like, well, I'll wait until I grow up, right? After I grow up, then I can make a difference in the world. And, and a lot of people think and talk that way. In our camp, and, and a lot of the listeners of this podcast are, are familiar with this idea that I encourage them not to wait. If you're 15 years old, okay, great. Maybe you have a smaller sphere of influence, but you don't need to wait until you graduate college or get into some job later on before you begin making a positive impact. And so we encourage students to become aware, self-aware, become reflective about what is important to them, and then begin ever so small, right? Whatever level you're at, whatever your sphere of influence is, begin making a difference. And if you can do well within your sphere of influence and, and that difference becomes meaningful, then naturally what happens is you begin to grow your sphere of influence. More and more people come to you asking you to influence them or, or, or to expand your influence in some way. And would you say that, that that's a good approach to have for high school students who do dream of being ambitious and, and perhaps attending a top tier school? Absolutely, Steve. I would say that's a good uh, good way of approaching things for two reasons. One, I think you captured, frankly, really quite well. And that is you can have some immediate impact in the world around you, whether that's in your school, your local community, um, even with your family. Looking for ways to do good, uh, using Benjamin Franklin as an example, um, is really powerful and important. Uh, Benjamin Franklin, as a young man, didn't actually get a lot of formal education. In fact, he only spent one year in school, as we would understand it. But he was always trying to find ways to cultivate himself. And one of the most important texts that he ever read was by Daniel Defoe, and it was called An Essay on Projects. And essentially what Defoe writes about are the different kinds of projects that one can do within one's own immediate community. And Franklin, reading this when he was probably 12 or 13 years old, was deeply impressed by it. He said it was one of the two most important books that he had ever read. Uh, and he used that as a kind of inspiration to always find ways to improve the world around him, to take whatever immediate responsibility or leadership opportunities he had immediately available. So on the one hand, Steve, I think you're exactly right that as a young person, you should look for those opportunities, whether that's on the school newspaper or uh, perhaps in a school play or in student government in order to improve the world around you. The second reason that's important, and I will again uh, draw a parallel to leadership, is because there's no time like the present to begin developing those skills that will allow you to be an even more impactful and successful leader as you grow. If you don't begin practicing those skills now, in the same way that, you know, if you aren't on the basketball court at age 15 learning how to shoot your jump shot, you're never going to go to the NBA. In the same respect, if you are not actually learning how to exert yourself, how to form projects, how to put them into motion, how to lead other people, well, when you have a greater opportunity to do so 5, 10, and 15 years down the line, you will not have developed the skills consistent with the craft of leadership. And so there's no time like today. It doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. It doesn't mean the impact you're going to have is world changing, 
But if those are your expectations, well, you're never going to get it started in the first place. And so, Steve, I think you're exactly right. You have to begin applying yourself and looking for those opportunities as early as possible, not only to begin having an impact on the world around you, um, but also to develop those skills so that when you have those extraordinary opportunities, they're going to be made available to you five, 10, 15 years down the line that you are ready to take full advantage of them. I love it. And I, I, I want to highlight something that you mentioned that I think is significant. You, you mentioned the phrase, even just in your own family, if your sphere of influence is only your family right now, maybe you're in junior high, maybe you don't have the influence that you would like to have. And the only space that you have to show that you are intentional and that you really want to make a positive impact is within the walls of your own home. And I love that you pointed out that even in that space, you can begin and you can start to develop these skills. And and I also want to emphasize both of those outcomes that you said. The one is if you can make a positive impact on your family, that's the way to begin your sphere of influence. That's the way to begin making a difference. And two, whether it's your family or whether you're president of the United States or some other amazing leadership role, you're constantly developing your skills. And so there's no reason to to wait to start making your impact. I just really, really appreciate uh, that you pulled those out. That's, that's absolutely right, um, Steve. The, I should mention the second book that Benjamin Franklin said um, was of a tremendous impact on him as a young man was a book by a Puritan uh, prelate named Cotton Mather, and it was called Essays to Do Good. And the central lesson that uh, Ben Franklin, young Ben Franklin, took from that is that you should always be on the lookout for opportunities to do good. And people who wait for the greatest opportunities will never have the chance to seize them in the first place. So your opportunity to do good and to make an impact on the world around you begins at home, and it can move out from there. So Steve, to me, I think you're absolutely right. Looking for those opportunities, you have to develop that sense because part of finding opportunities is learning how to look for them. And that can begin very much at home. Amazing. So as you look back, um, a few years after the fact, what advice would you give to your own 16-year-old self? That's a great, that's a great question. Um, the first thing I would say is that I think sometimes, especially when you're looking ahead toward college, um, we often think more is better. We are looking at quantity over quality. I was this way. How many things can I possibly put on my resume? And yeah. in hindsight, if I could go back to my 16-year-old self, I'd say, John Paul, find a few things probably three, no more than four, that you really want to put your time, attention, and care into, right? Anything worth doing is worth doing well. And the problem when you spread yourself too thin is that you end up doing a lot of things in a mediocre fashion, and that's not going to get you very far. Now, sometimes it's hard to figure out what are those three or four things you want to do, and you have to be experimental, and you'll make mistakes, and you'll try things, and, and you find out they just weren't for you. But the goal is not to find 15 things that you excel at, because you won't find 15 things. You'll find 15 things you're mediocre at. The goal is to find three or four things that you're really passionate about. So for me, I was very passionate about uh, leadership. And so I put a lot of time and attention, especially into student government to that end. I spent a lot of time focusing on being a writer. So I spent a lot of time on uh, student government. Um, And beyond that, obviously, my classes and my schoolwork. So I spent a lot of time there. I don't know that I needed to do the probably six other activities I devoted my time to. And it's not that I didn't enjoy myself. 
It's that at the end of the day, there are only so many hours that you have, and you want to make sure you're putting those hours to best use, and you're not wasting time because what ends up happening typically with wasting time is it ends up coming at the price of sleep. And I would also go back to my 16-year-old self and say, as little sleep as maybe you can get by on, perhaps you should aim for a little bit more. You'll be happier and healthier. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. Uh, fantastic. I, so really quickly on sleep, but I, I just read a study about, about two weeks ago um, uh, that it looks like, depending on your level of sleep deprivation, but at, at some point, you get to the point where you're cognitively worse off than if you're just drunk. Uh, you can be so cognitively impaired through sleep deprivation that it's as if you're, you've, you've drinking too much. Yeah, I, as someone who, uh, much to the dismay of my parents, deprived himself of a tremendous amount of sleep through high school, um, I can attest to the fact that the consequences psychologically, physically, emotionally are not great. Um, you know, yeah. I, I know for me, there's a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde quality. And when, um, when I've been deprived of a great deal of sleep, I actually have never read Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. So I think it's Mr. Hyde is the bad one, but I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure either. <laughs> uh, uh, I know that whoever of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde is the, is the less friendly figure. Um, that's, that's what I become when I'm deprived of sleep. And so it was not something I did particularly well and was careful about in high school or college. And I can tell you that the difference was so substantial physically that once I began getting sleep, I had people who thought very much like the character of Benjamin Button who ages backward. Uh -huh. And when I was in graduate school, a lot of my friends who knew me in college and high school felt like Benjamin Button, I had aged backward. And the answer was, yeah. I was just getting a lot more sleep. Oh, it makes that big of a difference. And uh, sleep is going to help you with your focus, with your energy, with everything else. Uh, I, I also wanted to point out, I love that you said you don't have time to try to tick off every conceivable box on a college application. So in high school, to run around trying to do more than is humanly possible, it might be counterproductive. Of course, I would argue, as my listeners know, it's definitely counterproductive. But the other thing that you don't have an unlimited resource for is energy, right? If, if you are going to try to, to schedule your time so, you know, completely schedule every minute of every day, we, we don't have time to prioritize and schedule our energy and figure out where we need to focus our thinking and, and really organize ourselves. And so we lose all of that effectiveness and of course, the end result is we, we have a student that has a lot of, of clubs that they've joined and a lot of things that they're doing, but not the growth and the, the humanity that they would like to have if they want to make a bigger impact in the world. And of course, if the whole goal is to get into a top university, which it's not, that getting into a top university is, is what happens when you focus on your growth because Universities like to accept people who, who grow and make an impact. But if the goal is to get into that university, by the end, if you don't have your humanity and you haven't really uh, identified what makes you you, it's only going to be confusing, I can imagine. To, if you can put yourself in the shoes of, a, of, a, of an admissions officer who is looking at this application and saying, I have no idea who this person is. This looks like six people uh, folded into one. Yeah, for, for many years, I've been fortunate enough to be able to do admissions uh, work for uh, Harvard College uh, interviews. 
So anyone who applies to Harvard right. College is fortunate enough to get an interview. And for a very long time, I have done those interviews. And, uh, you know, it's very obvious when you have students who are often wonderful people and have got great grades, but they don't really know who they are. They filled in a lot of lines on their resume, but they haven't figured out where their passions lie. And, you know, as in, when you're working in an admissions capacity, uh, you feel that you would like to see a little more emotional maturity, a little, a bit of maturation before you're going to admit someone to be part of a community, because you don't actually know what kind of community member they're going to be. And instead, it, I think it's commendable, and Steve, you're pointing to this, to slow down, to figure out what you care about, where your passions lie, to not simply figure out what's the next box I'm going to check on my resume, and to begin making investments accordingly. Again, it's this emphasis on quality, not quantity. Um, as I said, I, I was in the thrall of quantity when I was in high school. And if I could go back to my 16-year-old self, I'd say, you know, you can actually chip away um, a little bit more sleep time if you quit a couple of these clubs that you are merely uh, signing in for and sitting through. Yeah. They're not going to help you anyway. And you're going to be a happier, healthier person and also more productive. And I think that's what people fail to realize. If you're simply filling up all of your time with uh, commitments you're not particularly passionate about, you're not, you're not only not figuring out what your passion is, you're not actually creating an efficient, productive schedule and that will become a problem when you be, when you get to college, because the thing is that if you're a successful, hardworking student in high school, you can skate by a lot of the time. When you get to college, especially if you're fortunate enough to go to a highly competitive college, you can't skate by anymore. Your classes are going to be too demanding. There are going to be too other too many other people competing for those uh, brass rings you're looking toward, and then you really have to focus and prioritize. And I can say that for me. It took me about two years when I got to college to figure that out. And, you know, it ultimately didn't cost me anything great, but it certainly did cost me a lot of peace of mind in those first two years. Uh, it cost me some heartache uh, and it cost me a lot of sleep. And I could have made everything a little bit easier if I had figured out ways to focus early on and decide where my passion is and channel my energy accordingly. And certainly my life has been enriched by our class and by my relationship with you. And uh, once again, I want to extend the gratitude from the rest of the class who asked me to share it with you. And thank you so much for taking your time with our listeners today as well. I think this has been one of the most productive podcasts we've ever recorded. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, Steve, thank you so much. And it's been a real privilege and an honor to get to speak with your students. So thank you. Music for this episode came from We Are Here by Declare P. I'm Steve Gardner. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and share with a friend. Thanks for listening.